0: to the $100 MBA show, helping you build a better business every single day with our daily 10-minute business lessons for the real world. I'm your host, your coach, your teacher, Omar Zenhom. I'm also the co-founder of Webinar Ninja, an independent software company. I started my co-founder back in 2014. And today's episode is a special extended interview episode. Every once in a while, we like to sit down with an incredible mind, with an incredible entrepreneur, and learn from their journey starting and growing a business. Today, we have a very, very special episode. I sat down with Patrick Campbell. Patrick is the founder of ProfitWell, who bootstrapped his business all the way to acquisition, sold it to Paddle for $200 million. Patrick recently sold the business and I wanted to sit down with him to learn about his journey, how he became the person that can build a business like this that's worth $200 million, some of the challenges he had along the way, and what were the deciding factors to sell his business. And what does it mean for him now after it's all said and done? There's so much I got from this conversation. I can't wait for us to dive in. So let's get into it. Let's get down to business. Support for today's show comes from Start Your First Online Business, my all new 10-part audio course on Himalaya learning. This is a course that's going to get you from zero to one, that's going to get you from thinking about your business to actually launching that business, getting it out of your head and into the real world. We cover things like validating your idea, creating your first product, pricing it, marketing it, financing your business, even creating your business website, and more. Check it out at Himalaya.com MBA and use code MBA to get a 14-day free trial. Again, that's Himalaya.com slash MBA, promo code MBA. Having the right tools to run your business is really important, and that's why we recommend Zero. Zero is the easiest, most powerful accounting software we know. And the reason why we know is because we're big users. We run all our businesses with Zero. It integrates with our banking, all our financial apps and payment processors. It's easy for us. It's easy for our bookkeepers and accountants. And it's built for business owners, not financial nerds. If you want to make it easy on yourself to handle the numbers, check out Zero. Go to Zero. That's Xero.com slash podcasts. I've known of Patrick Campbell for about five years now, but I've gotten to know him personally as a friend for the last three years or so. We actually worked together briefly. He helped us out with our own pricing at Webinar Ninja because Patrick is the pricing expert in the SaaS world. But in today's episode, I find out how did he become that expert? How did he grow ProfitWell in the first place and was able to leverage his freemium model of offering the software, the main metric software for free and building a business with services and other features behind that. But we also get personal. We talk about how selling his company for $200 million has impacted his life, his ambitions, his mental health. Let's jump into that conversation now with Patrick Campbell I'll be back to wrap up today's episode and share some of my favorite takeaways, but for now, let's get into that conversation with the founder of ProfWell, Patrick Campbell. Patrick, great to have you on the show, man. How
1: you doing? What's up, man? Good to catch up again. I'm excited totally. to... Uh... We don't get to see each other as often as I'd like cuz you you're all the way on the other side of the world down under as they you're say. You're
0: literally like the f- the furthest possible place.
1: Like, I think I am like, now on the opposite. Yeah, I'm in Puerto Rico, so I think I'm like the opposite. Yeah, yes. exactly. So Yes. We gotta meet. In scheduling was fantastic for this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll meet in <laughs> yeah. Europe or somewhere. So yeah.
0: <laughs> that sounds great, man. Um we've known each other for some time. Uh I consider you a good friend. I think you're uh a very interesting person. And I don't say this just because they're on the show, but the reason why I think you're so interesting is because it's very rare in my opinion. I meet a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people in business where somebody is actually quite brilliant, but at the same time, a nice person, very hard combination to hit. Like most people that are very smart, you don't actually feel like they care about you or they have their best interest in mind. They just don't have that, um, those soft skills. And I feel like Uh, I was your friend before I kind of respected you as an entrepreneur and that's very hard to hit. So I just wanted to start with that because I'm not sure if you're aware of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I think, uh, it's kind of funny. It's so a one. Thank you. This is, this is why I hang out with you for these compliments <laughs> basically. So I think, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about this lately because, you know, uh, as, as maybe the lead is buried here, I sold, sold a company for, you know, pretty good sum. And so you have this like interesting, um, like I'm calling it a refactory period, uh, which is a little blue, but like, you literally have this fear, like, what is life? What do I do? Like, you're having all of mm. these questions and, one of those things that kind of came up is, like, I think that without being my own psychologist or psychiatrist, like, I, I, I'm i just an incredibly insecure human being. And so, like, that manifests itself in a couple of different ways. And I think my way has evolved into, like, trying to be nice, trying to be helpful, right? Mm. Because that that gives back the security of, like people people like you or people like will um you know respect you in certain ways right um like for example like you know i i have re- like you said oh he's brilliant or he's smart and i was like it's i i physically like jolts me like in an uncomfortable way like i can't even admit that i'm smart even though i have all this evidence i was about you know, to say
0: like have that you i'm you smart in your life <laughs> i mean no no i
1: know but like like so but even then like i graduate i graduated first in my class in college and yeah. i didn't work that hard right like and and so it's like one of those things where like i was I actually doing another podcast and um this was a long time ago and it kind of started me down this path with sherry walling who mm, i think yeah. you know as well Rob's wife. and She asked me, When did you realize you were smart? And I had this whole like therapy session on the actual podcast. And and I remember being like, Oh, I I don't even think that. And she's like, Well, you graduated first year class. I was like, Oh, I guess that does mean I'm smart. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I think it's the insecurity that like helps me, um, you know, keep and it it rears its ugly head in many different ways. But uh, yeah, Yeah. uh, it's so I'm a student.
0: Yeah, I'm a student of comedy and I love. Stand up comedians, you know, I have aspirations one day. But one of the things that is a common thread, what you're just mentioning, is that a lot of them, like, they are incredibly confident on stage. They are great performers. They're amazing at what they do. But a lot of it comes from a place of insecurity where they feel like, I want to feel fulfilled through the laugh, through, you know, the reaction of the crowd. Um, So you're in good company. So don't worry about it. (laughs) Well,
1: it's it's funny you mentioned that I was hanging out with founders last week and then another founder like conference the week before. And Uh I I started looking, I started looking for it and it's just amazing how much insecurity actually exists. And there's a whole, podcast episode we could do uh, yes to, to be great like are you lucky or are you insecure right but it's probably a bunch of other things but it'd be a funny podcast to go down the rabbit hole of
0: yeah one of the things i don't know much about about you like we've hung out a bunch of times we've had chats but i don't know a lot about your upbringing or your childhood um did you grow up in did you is it in the midwest in the u.s where'd you grow up
1: yeah I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, so for any international folks, basically in the Midwest, which is like farm country. I grew up in a town with, uh, more cows than people, Mm -hmm. um, as the saying goes. And so, yeah, that's where I grew up. Um, upbringing pretty poor um you know very my, my dad was a, a union uh, like tinner it's called it's like uh-huh. a sheet metal worker he worked on you know skyscraper roofs basically to kind of like finish those roofs off and there were plenty of times i remember of like strikes and stuff like that where um i didn't, you know, obviously didn't understand the nuances i just knew that oh this means we're we're you know, eating Campbell soup every night, you know, something like that versus, uh, you know, anything else. Um, yeah. And so that, that was a good upbringing, um, for I think entrepreneurship and stuff like that. I, I, I actually never wanted to go into business. Um, I was going to ask were there any
0: influences in your life or
1: so I, I had a lot of entrepreneurial Things that I did. Like, mm. I was always looking for a hustle, if that makes sense. I yeah. was like, like I remember in um, even in elementary school, I, we, because a very blue collar household, at a really early age, we would make our own lunches because mm. that we were like, parents taught us to make our lunches and it's like, you're responsible for doing this. Well, being a lazy kid, I would instead take just a big bag of animal crackers and then just trade, you know, to get yeah. other yeah. things basically in school and to so, meal your lunch. They're, they're, yeah, exactly. And there's like because like my parents would never buy that stuff anyways, right? Like they wouldn't buy like the the stuff I would trade for for all the kids who had you know kind of the expensive made for them lunches. But I think the the other thing, and then there was a bunch of other like how do I make money? Like oh, I can do a um you know a lawn care business. I can do mm-hmm. this. I can do that. Right? Like it never was. Let me start an online website. Right? Like some of the folks we hear about in our, yes. in our space. But yes. Yeah. It was never, it was, it was the blue collar. I, you know, not having any money that I think like led to that. And then the the natural progression, which is, you know, almost cliche was, okay, we worked really hard in like a blue collar manner. You're going to go be a doctor. Right. Like Mm. to this day, my dad wants me to be a doctor. Like even, even he's, he'll still be like, well, you would be a good doctor. Like he would be like, he still says stuff like that. Right. Um, And then didn't, didn't love Birds blood sound like they um, <laughs> they
0: they're,
1: they're not but it's like same vibe right like it's a very similar vibe you are what
0: to say it's <laughs> like
1: i worked you know i i i worked my butt off for overtime so that yeah. you could like go to that summer camp so that you know you go be a doctor right um didn't love blood or anything like that i went i actually went to a, a summer camp for p- kids who wanted to go to med school mm. uh, so that was like a very niche camp and Um, I saw a guy, it was a recording, I think, but it was basically, he got like cast his heart or whatever, Mm. like where they like take the needle through the leg and go up to the heart. I like turned white and basically passed out. And then uh, I was like, well, I'm going to go try to be a lawyer because that's the other professional Mm. craft. Right. And uh, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the early days. I I don't know how deep you want me to to go. No, but that's
0: great. I mean, that's, that's. um, there's so many things that I'm listening to what you're saying. And I'm like, I can definitely resonate with that growing up. Uh, one of the things that we kind of chatted online about, um, because of the way we grew up, like my parents are immigrants. They came to the country with nothing. They didn't when I say nothing, like they came from Egypt and they don't know English. They don't know where to get their groceries. They don't know how to get a driver's license. The, the, yeah. they try to get a job and they don't recognize their degree from Egypt. So they got to do their degree all over. Like, it's just like yeah. literally you not tell nothing. me about that. It's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. So growing up in that environment and same, same environment, like where your parents are like, you know, uh, making ends, me trying to make the dollar stretch. Like now that you have some money, you know, um, you yeah. made it public, you know, you, you, you sold your company for $200 million. Um, yeah. is, is it hard for you to spend money? Like for me, I'm going to like, I don't act, you know, like retail therapy doesn't work on me. Like I don't actually enjoy spending money. Yeah. And I think it's from my upbringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you say the same for you or what?
1: It's I'm glad you asked this question because I'm going to, I'm going to be a little, uh, a little uh, telling with it because what's really funny about it. Cause like, Oh, you made millions of dollars. Like, and you're complaining about how hard it is like to think about money still. Like it's not a very sympathetic thing, mm-hmm. but it is really funny. Like, I, so one, uh, the short answer is no, I don't spend anything still. Um, it's been four months, so maybe I should, I don't know, but it's, it's one of those things where like Jenny and I literally were talking, we were texting, she texts me, she's like, well, the price of who's going up. I'm not really sure if we should keep, and I'm, and it's just a surreal experience because uh-huh. a $15 a month charge, like doesn't do anything. Right. Um, and like just the money it, and it it's, it's kind of crazy. I also didn't have any investments before this. Mm -hmm. So we, we had this mindset and I don't know if you know Dave Ramsey, but yeah, we didn't, I wasn't like a huge Dave Ramsey fan. I didn't discover him until a couple of years ago, but I started listening just, and I've never listened to his actual show. I just listened to the clips on YouTube. And what's kind of funny is um, what, what resonated with us, we didn't have college debt, but we were like, Oh, money can bring couples together just as much as it splits people up. Mm -hmm. Right. So we set off to to basically pay our house off as quickly as possible. We didn't need to do it. We didn't need to do gazelle intents as he talks about. But we basically we just went, okay, well, let's try because we didn't we never had that. And so we paid the house off. I had twenty grand and a paid off house, and mm-hmm. then the sale goes through. And so we were our burn right now is very low uh, <laughs> compared to some of my peers who I was meeting with who also had exits and stuff like that. And so it's hard because I think. The best way I would describe it is prior to this, I didn't spend money because I I had it, but I also wanted like this future state, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, yes, I had equity in my company, but I never felt real, right? Now that it's real, I never feared death before now. And I don't necessarily fear death now. And I don't know if this has resonated with you, but I, Mm -hmm. I definitely think about it, right? This is why a lot of founders, they get an exit and all of a sudden it's, oh, I got to get my health in order. Like I'm working out twice a day. I'm like eating. I have a nutrition coach. And I have all these right. other things that I could have afforded before and I could have done before, but I never did, right? Right. And I do think that some of the money things and to, to hopefully get a little practical is the best advice I got that turned out to be true was um, it just amplifies the worst and the best of you. So if you had, you know, some sort of, I want to spend all my money on this, you're going to do now that more. If you were you know, still insecure before the money, you're going to be just as insecure after the money, right? And maybe even worse sometimes, right? Um, and so the thing that it also does or did for me, it did move the, the, the kind of the goalposts, as they say, a little bit. Because the reason I hired a nutrition coach was because I was like, well, if I don't do it now... I'm basically like this, I'm, this is definitely not me. Like I'm never going to be like the healthy guy. And so it does make things easier. And so we've like loosened up a little bit there, but I haven't bought a car. Like we bought a used Jeep Wrangler that's three years old yesterday. Like we finally got a car after four months and, you know, basically being like, ah, next month we'll get a car. Next month we'll get a car. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I heard there's some adaptation that takes place over time, but. I don't know. I'm not there yet. We'll basically yeah. see. I'm still looking at receipts, still making sure I get my refunds, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And and we're definitely going to get into like, how did you get into this business of profit well and grow it and bootstrap it and then eventually sell it. But I, I want to go a little bit deeper on what you just said um, because uh, you know, we've been running oil our for eight years or so. Um, we've been given gotten a lot of offers and things like that, but we haven't really entertained selling the company and all that kind of stuff. One of my fears is because I hear a lot of people when they sell their company, when they sell their business, all of a sudden they're, they have all these mental health challenges. Like they have, they have a hard mm-hmm. time coping with uh, that, that transformation, that change, but also, um, you know even from a financial point of view yes maybe they they get a payout or they get some stock or whatever some a combination of both but that cash flow and that feeling of like oh, i can create wealth you know that that type of feeling yeah. goes away can you or do you feel like you had more yeah. personal mental health challenges since you moved off paddle and you sold it sorry you you uh you sold profit yeah. well at to paddle
1: yeah um Yes and no. Mm. So before I sold the company, I I texted 30 founders who I knew or knew a bit of who had exits. And I basically asked them, I gave them two scenarios because we weren't originally going to sell. We were looking to raise money for the first time. So we were mm. bootstrapped before. So we, we'd never raised money technically. Um, and so it was, it was a question of, well, do we, do we keep going and raise money? Or do we get get the bag. Right. Right. And I asked the 30, I was like, what, what option would you choose? Right. And about 15 of them. So half of them said, sell, 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 right. First company, you get your first, you know, major check, all that other stuff, like your life changes, everything, you know, is different, all that kind of stuff. The other half said, I wouldn't have sold again. Now they all sold and they have the money. So it's a little bit hard to read through, but what was the most, what was the most telling is of that 15, half of them didn't go along with the company. They basically said, here are the keys. Okay. And of those seven people, three of them became drug addicts or alcoholics. And I think that the reason I give that is because one, we very consciously wanted to keep going, not because of this data, but because kind of felt that mission still. But what I will say is I think that, I am definitely going through something right now. Um, some of it's good, some of it's bad, as I mentioned. But what's interesting about it is I had this purpose and I had this extreme purpose every single day. And that purpose manifested itself in many different ways. It was, I got to push the goalposts of just the company overall forward, which then was, I got to help this new hire figure something out. I have to, you know, settle that argument with Facundo. I have to do this. I have to do that. Right. And that purpose, all of a sudden, like I'm in the limbo right now mm. because my role, like Facundo, who's our head of product and, and my business partner, he basically was like, cool. They don't have a product leader. I'm just going to run all of product. And so just like instantly he runs all. So he kind of just copies and pastes domain. Yeah. There's a bunch of tax on when you guys do it this way. Should we do it this way? What way should we do it? Oh, I have to talk to this person and build a relationship with that. Like there's a lot of that. Hmm. Peter, my other business partner kind of has that as well, because it's like, great, you're going to just run sales on this, like for this part of the organization. Right. I was put into a chief strategy officer role, which is it's a great role because you kind of get to make it what you want, but that also is a problem because all of a sudden it's it's kind of undefined. And so all of that purpose that I had is basically... It, like I still have part of that because there's just stuff to do. I want to make sure that this person, you know, they didn't get necessarily the outcome they wanted. So I want to make sure that they're in a good position to like get a good outcome, you know, for the for the the next bite of the apple with the IPO and stuff like that. But it was just one of those interesting things where I I don't think I really articulated this as well as I just did. Where all of a sudden I just don't feel like I have that purpose right now mm. um, because it's not defined. Or to maybe state it as charitably as possible. I just don't see where anything I'm doing is connected to the greater purpose. Uh And some, some people would be okay with that. I think there's some people who just rest and vest, right? I'm just not wired that way Uh uh, because I get so much purpose from my work. Um, And so, yeah, I'm, I'm going through mental health challenges, I guess. And part of it's causing existential crises of, you know, not just who am I, but what do I want out of this? Right. Because, Uh If I just want to kind of take an active rest, kind of what's going on is perfect, right? Because I give some value here and there, I answer some questions, I do a project here and there, but I'm just kind of, you know, go, right? but I don't, and it's not really me, right? And so I don't know, I don't know how that manifests. And so yeah, I'm I'm going through some stuff, and it's, again, it's it's such a privileged thing because obviously, like, yeah. you know, great, all my mental health challenges, with my big bag of money, right? You know, and so, but it's you know, problems and pain. It's are, real, are, are, and
0: are yeah, you know, people will experience this uh, at some point if they ever sell their company or they go through a challenge like that. So definitely. Um, thanks for sharing, man. that's that's huge, and I think it'll be super helpful yeah. for everybody listening. Um, but I, I think go- it's
1: important for people listening just to maybe button hook that a little bit. It's important for people listening because i I money helps you. It does it like it, it certainly helps you, right? Like i don't I do sleep much better than I ever have. I don't worry. Like, and I even talked to Christian, the CEO of Paddle. and I remember mentioning him. I was like, I can totally empathize with some of the like Mm. pain you just go through as a founder. Right. And as a CEO and stuff like that, but I, I can't feel it anymore. Like I can't feel it because I'm not in that seat and no one else is in that seat. So I've been having a lot of conversations with him where I'm like, okay, like if you're feeling this, tell me, like, let me help. Because I can at least, I I at least have been in that pain, but I know I, I don't, I don't wake up going, Oh shit, I got to worry about this. I got to worry about that. Like I used to because I'm not, I'm not in that seat. And that it comes with that seat. And I think that for people listening, like one, if you're in that seat, like everyone's going through it. Everyone goes through it every day. And you might have great weeks and great months, but you're gonna have terrible weeks and terrible months this is just how it works. But just know that, and also know like whether you're in that seat or not, it's really difficult to empathize with that seat because if you haven't ever been in that seat, you don't realize like how hard it is. You don't realize how much fear that person has. You don't re- realize how much paranoia they have. Yes, And even if they have an amazing team and even if they're one of the best operators in the world, they still have those fears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a really big thing that, that I also realized. And I think the other thing for people listening is like money helps as I started saying, but it, it, it all of a sudden clears everything for you, just to be like, "Oh shit, who am I?" Yeah. <laughs> like, because I used to be, I used to be, well, when I get that, I'll. T- I said this before, I'll take care of this, or oh, when I you know get some money, I'll do this. And it's like, oh, I have the money, and now I'm not doing those things. Ooh, mm-hmm. I don't have that excuse anymore, and so mm-hmm. it, it exposes who you are. And I don't know. I think building a company is one of the best self help like totally activities in the world, and I think that. Once you get to you know the end of a chapter, it's it's kind of like the last chapter of that book. It's like okay, where's the next book? You know, where's the next yeah. book for that development and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I just thought. No, that that's
0: that's that, that yeah. you added so much value to that comment. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about the genesis of ProfitWell. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, ProfitWell was a product of Price Intelligently, which was the company before that. And then Price Intelligently was basically a service service business where you would help people with the pricing, their packaging, their value metrics, uh, maybe even uh, dealing with churn, all that kind of stuff, um, wh- which, in my opinion, is one of the smartest things you did because you recognized business is hard why am i going to make it harder to myself one of the best businesses you could do is a service-based business where you can charge a premium for a specific type of thing going back to the animal crackers right um so (laughs) so uh and 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 the lawns and all the hustles you did on the side so um walk me through like the genesis of this idea why did you start it um I remember yeah. when I discovered Profwell and the the tool to you know be able to follow your metrics and just plug in your your, your um, payment processor and all that kind of stuff. I was just like, "Why is this free again?" Because uh, I was paying a service <laughs> beforehand. Like, what is happening here? Yeah. What's going on? And then I yeah. got into your ecosystem and went through your dunning system and all that kind of stuff. But walk me through the why this business? Why why financial yeah. metrics?
1: It's a good question. So the the shortest, um, let me try to give the shortest answer just to get the facts out. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of moving pieces, which was not intentional. Uh, so, I case. again never wanted to get in business. So, but I, I, my job out of college, I ended up working for the Intel community. Um, so, I worked at NSA, which is kind of like a fun, sexy title, but like I was an Intel analyst and I was a kid out of school. So, yeah. I saw a bunch of cool shit. I wasn't really working on, uh, as, well, I was, but I wasn't like working on, you know, the movie stuff. Um, but I then, didn't love the bureaucracy, so I went to Google, thinking, oh, this 30,000-person company at the time. It's a tech company. It won't be bureaucratic, but of course, it's bureaucratic, right? And and um, then I ended up working at a startup, and that's where I worked on pricing for the first time. Um, it was the e-commerce startup. I was basically trying to figure out how we could do a better pricing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I discovered that they gave this entry-level kid, me, like you know, a couple years' experience, um, this really important thing that when we made changes, we'd see these big swings in revenue, Right. So it was one of those things where, okay, this is a really effective thing. They're not taking it seriously enough. And I don't know why that is, but I was not enamored with the culture. You're kind of getting a theme here. And I was basically thinking, I'm in my mid-20s. Let's just jump out, right? And that was a really hard decision given my background. But Mm -hmm. I realized if I... Worst case scenario, I'll get a job as a barista, digging ditches, working construction. And I think that's that's the whole concept of stay poor as long as possible if you want to start a business. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids. I didn't have any of these things. So it was a lot easier to jump out and start. Um, I didn't think of it perfectly like that at the time. Yep. But the thing I'm trying to get across, too, is it wasn't this magical idea that I had been thinking about for a long time. It was all let's just see what could happen, right? Like that, like, let's just see and figure it out. And, and keep in mind, I knew nothing. I knew yeah. next to nothing. I knew how to think because my background's in econometrics and math. I did Intel analysts. I was sales ops to Google, these types of things. But Google's idea of marketing is paid ads, right? Uh-huh. Like they don't teach you how to market. They don't teach you any of these things. So when I jumped out, I was like, oh, we're gonna do marketing, it's paid ads. I didn't know anything about SEO, anything about content, anything about anything, right? I didn't know anything about product, I, I knew nothing, right? right? And so this pricing thing, it was it was actually at first a software product. So you basically would send a survey with some questions. We would take the data from those questions and we would calculate elasticity. And when I say we, it was just me in a room for like 18 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some part-time co-founders, which was, Really problematic. Everything's great now, but Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where, um, you know, just fading away. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a royal we, right? And um, Uh, to make a really long story short, what we found is that, and this is where the service business came into play. The beauty of a service business, if you, if you, I think the beauty of a service business is that if you have it, but you know you want to evolve from it, um, unless you're fine just with like an agency or a service business, uh because We were like, oh no, we know that services should be the thing we do here, but VCs don't like services, so we shouldn't do it. But basically these people came to us and they said, I really like the output of the software, but I don't wanna do the work. Right. All right, well, let's do the work for you. And they're like, well, really like, we want you to do the work and we want you to kind of come in and tell us what to do. Literally one of our first customers, we were there to settle an argument. Here's the data, here's what we think, this person's really no one was right but like this is the more yeah. right answer and you know therefore we go and we're like ah services and we'll pay you a lot of money <laughs> we're like okay so that's what kind of evolved and then what the thinking was is okay well what if we cash flowed the product business and we cash flowed and started building this business and eventually we'll get to at first it was we're going to host every pricing page in the world then there was a bunch of other ideas and at this point we had I brought Peter on um, to lead kind of the sales side and I think that what really worked out is we always knew we wanted to evolve from the service business. And I think mm. the reason that works so well is because we had about 50, 60, I think at the time it was actually like 70% margin on that business because the pricing was good. And the problem was, or the, the 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 good thing was, we poured all of that back into the business. I was
0: going to say it was funding the software, okay.
1: And if you have this vision of we're gonna get beyond where we are, that's what you do. If you don't, you end up taking those distributions, right? Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, we'll throw 10% into development, we'll throw it like, but no, we were like, we wanna build something big. This is our funding, quote unquote. So like every single dollar was going into investment somewhere, right? Right. And this was a good and bad thing because it was how we were funding ourselves, right? that first year or the first six months of the business it was just me I sold like hundred and twelve thousand dollars worth of services essentially um and then that next year I think Peter um, and uh, with help from me um sold I think it was probably like a half a million right so all of a sudden like things are stacking up and we're getting this funding the issue there's there's a couple issues with this but that was that's basically where we went and when we we're thinking about the product we were helping a company that was about to IPO with their pricing and we discovered that they were calculating churn and MRR incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And while that was happening, which are, if you're not in SAS too, like this is the equivalent of opening your bank account, seeing the number and still getting it wrong. Like it's yeah. just that fundamental of a number. This is a common and, issue by the way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and what we wanted to do was we wanted to get to something that was more ubiquitous in terms of software. So we kind of started putting two together and the original thought was this will give us the data to do the pricing stuff we want. So if I get your financial data, I can then say, okay, here you got a bunch of value, but here's like where pricing's wrong. And you mm-hmm. know, if you just click this button, your pricing will be magical, right? And long to make the rest of it as short as possible. Um, we weren't going to do give that away for free. Yeah, we started giving it away for free because there's a bunch of competitors in the market we started realizing analytics products are terrible to build um, because you do a lot of work to get accuracy and no one, no customer appreciates it. They're never willing to pay that much. Um, yeah. you know, three figures uh, a month, maybe four figures a month, maybe $1,000 if they're large enough. But you also don't get that scale. So you don't get your smallest customer and your largest customer willing to pay vastly different sums of money. So it's just a, a terrible recurring revenue business. And we were going to shut it down, but then this thesis came which is what we've had since, which was, well, what if we got the data and then that data trained our algorithms to do things like lower your cancellation rate automatically, Mm -hmm. optimize your pricing automatically, these types of things. And it wasn't even about the network effect of free of getting customers. It was very much, well, if we get every single customer or every single user basically improves those algorithms, we can't be beat because even if someone builds the functionality we have, they're not going to have the data we have right. right? unless they copy and paste the exact same strategy. But frankly, no one was insane enough to build basically like a bootstrap business to build a free product and data, which is, you know, not mm-hmm. cheap. Right. Um, and I, I think we are just naive to think it would be easier. Right. Which is kind of the the classic story where, you know, the first time founders, you know, of course, you know, yeah. will go after it. Um, three, three quick notes to round, to round this out. One free is beautiful when it is better than the paid competition, because it gets the reaction that you gave. Why is this free? Like what's going on here? And it's not about, Oh, well they monetize through this other thing, but it's more about why I would be crazy to use this paid competitor. And then on top of that, when these guys call me or email me to have a phone call about selling me something, Mm -hmm. I'll feel obligated to take it and that that the thesis turned out to be right um and then the two other things on services one um i think one of the biggest mistakes we make made is we didn't take some money out of the business my average salary over the nine and a half years was $71,000. It was basically like zero in the beginning, 30 grand, again, no kids, no mortgage. And then at the end, my salary was $150,000 a year. But even with COVID, I was the first one to be like, oh, I'll go to zero, you know, because that yeah. like, did that when we furloughed some people. Um, and it it definitely, and then no distributions in terms of profit, um, even though some years we did have profit or we could have structured it to have profit. And I think this definitely, it, it absolutely shaped um some thinking when it came to the deal right it so shaped the thinking in a way that we probably still would have sold just given the dynamics of selling but um we we would have had a different mindset if we had if i had a million dollars in the bank or something like that uh and so that's that's a big thing with like a services business that goes to product i i do think because of the float you get from profit like I don't know if you should go straight up profit first, but in your, in your plan, just straight up, mm-hmm. like schedule those raises, um, and then follow that schedule. Like we eventually did this and it was one of those tough conversations. Cause we were like, well, we reached this revenue milestone, but both all three of us, the three business partners, we were like, yeah, but this money for a raise could go somewhere else. Right. Um, but we still gave it to ourselves cause we were like, no, we have to do this cause we're, we're definitely, it's definitely affecting us. Um, And then the the last thing on services businesses, I think that it's really hard. It's really hard to do a service and a product team because you end up feeding one and not the other. (laughs) So Facundo in classic fashion, uh, none of you know him, but if you did, got everything you wanted. You want that extra hire, you want this. He would not say this. He would say, no, I didn't get everything I wanted. I wanted six engineers, not four engineers, but like he got everything you wanted. And then Peter and I, who are kind of like trying to run the rest of the business, we, we would always like, it, and it wasn't, there was no trickery. It was just us like right. thinking clearly. We would just like, yeah, yeah. Have the extra have the edge because the product was such the focus. Well, what it ended up happening is the product team got so far ahead of the rest of the company. So even marketing, like our product team was cranking. We had this free product. We were finally hitting a clip and I was the only person in marketing in addition to like running the company, right. and managing stuff. Right. Same thing with Peter. Like we didn't like structure our sales because all of a sudden, it was well at the end of the quarter. Are we going to spend time fig- figuring out that OKR? or Are we going to like hero ball to make sure we get the number we need to like continue the business moving forward, right? And so I think that's another thing you have to keep in mind is like you have to like if the service business is going to be something that also grows, you have to fund it not necessarily equally, but you still have to fund it every single quarter and then increase that funding. Um, we we. it it causes so much heartburn by like just giving everything to product and not really thinking of the holistic business as much as we should have.
0: This is gold because I can definitely resonate with what you were saying. There's a few things I want to kind of highlight as takeaways for me and hopefully others is one, um, you were able to build a superior product because of the services actually the data that you knew was important to those clients yeah. were features that i now enjoy in ProfitWell. well like i can now I have that feature that uh offers an upgrade to people that are most likely to upgrade because you have all the data on who upgrades at what time and the activity of that user yep. and all that kind of stuff. But because you were in the trenches, because you talked to customers, you actually did your job was basically customer interviews yeah. for a profit. you were able to know what's important, what to build. Uh, I, you know, for me with webinar ninja, I was an educator for thirteen years. I I know what works for coaching and teaching. I, I'm probably the most critical user out of the whole team. Um, I work with entrepreneurs constantly with this podcast and the hundred MBA business, which is my service businesses. Like this, it's it's I always call it like the golden child and the vampire. Right, there's the golden child <laughs> that does everything right. It's that firstborn child that always gets straight A's and it does everything you wanted to do and is is funding everybody. And then you got the vampire that's just like, give me more, give me more, you know. And um, and it, it, that's great insight where you have to make sure that the golden child needs to be fed too. the golden child needs to be praised as well, yep. it needs to be taken care of. So you kind of have to balance that big time. But uh, huge, huge. You talked about marketing, and I want to get into the fact that. At some point a few years ago at ProfitWell, you guys became like a media company, right? Um, We're we're big fans of Wistia and what they do over there and they create great content and shows and podcasts. And um, I was like a religious uh, viewer of uh, pricing page teardowns on YouTube, right? You guys just do these page page teardowns just to watch this thing every time. It was like so entertaining to me. It was like Brooklyn Nine-Nine for me or something, right? (laughs) Nice, nice. um, tell me a little bit about like the cost involved and the, and how you guys kind of got the ball rolling with saying, Hey, let's become uh, this brand affinity machine where people come to us because of our content.
1: So, yeah, I think, and I think you're going to start seeing a theme is it's, it's we, if we really boil down to like our success um, and some of our, our failure of like why we weren't a billion dollar exit, it's all first principles thinking like in in everything you heard about services business and all this first principles thinking the media thing. So for context, for people who don't know us, um, when I was going to build our marketing team, this was gosh, five years ago now, I basically sat down and, you know, we were doing content marketing, which was basically, I would write a post or two a week. Uh, and then eventually we had some outsource people who were doing a lot of that work and at our direction, but I, I thought, okay, who's the first hire? What's our strategy? These types of things, like the classic go in on one thing rather than doing a bunch of little stuff on on a, a bunch of things. And I started looking at the research, and there's a couple things I discovered at the time. One, a, a B2B blog could expect a max average of 1.6 visits per week from a qualified lead, meaning in the best of worlds, wow. one point six touches with their content, right? Which is not a lot, right? No. The when I looked at media companies like uh, you know the Skim, which was very popular then, Bloomberg, mm, the hustle, right? yeah. Like straight up media companies, right? Yeah. Um, this was even really before the hustle was getting getting going, right? It was um, like anywhere from three and a half to like seven or eight, right? And so touches per week. Then I realized, okay, well, what would it look like? There was a bunch of other like data that we looked at, but if we produced a series of a show, like a, a season, let's say of a show, like thirteen episodes for a quarter, one per week, it would cost us. And this is all back of the envelope. It'd be like, oh, ten thousand dollars, right? Well, the eBooks we were producing that were really successful, each of those eBooks basically cost ten thousand dollars. So we started kind of putting the math together and the TLDR was um, the best companies in the world at driving traffic, audience and eyeballs are media companies. They Mm -hmm. are the worst at monetizing them. Probably the best business at monetizing is SaaS or software, like depending on how you look at it, but they're very good at monetizing traffic. Probably kind of terrible at driving traffic, actually. Um, If you really compare it, this is why I love going to certain conferences where there's a lot of direct response people or e-commerce people, because, just the conversations are just insane. Like you're like, oh, you're on such a different level than any B two B marketer I've ever met uh, when it comes to brand or e commerce or, or um, mm-hmm. you know Facebook ads, those types of things. So, long story short, that was kind of the beginning, and, and we basically thought, okay, we're going to do media. And the difference between like an inbound marketing and an inbound media strategy is that inbound media is basically you're producing episodic content. And most of the time it is podcast or most of the time it is video. It could be written episodic as well, but you're trying to build audience rather than just try to drive people to an ebook or some Mm -hmm. sort of offer. Right. And, um, at, at sale, we basically had eight different podcast or video series. Um, one was pricing page teardown, like you mentioned, and we did it in a very bootstrapped way in the sense of like, we got costs like a season of profitable report cost us like, two grand a season of pricing page teardown costs probably five grand like we got the episode cost down a lot we worked a lot on that before scaling certain certain things or adding different shows because we knew we wanted more shows because you want to align shows to audiences or align shows to pain points. So we do a show on pricing because unless you're, you know, a Stan like you are, you're only really looking for it. And when you have that problem, right. And then you binge the entire season. Right. And so we did this before all the cool kids did. I just always like to point that out whenever I get a chance. Um, and we did it because we were thinking about, you know, what was going to be the best way up the mountain and, you know, built a team at, at sale. We had about five people on the team, um, which is pretty cool. Like, you know, cause it's a pretty scrappy team for what we're, yeah doing and you, you just get a lot of benefits um the first conference i went to after probably about a quarter of doing this um you know the conference before i would get on stage and be like oh who here has heard of price intelligently or profit well and you'd get like scattered a couple hands right because people read our content which is always deep that conference i went to after that quarter is like you know, 75, 80% of the room because we started doing video and video just gets a wider audience. Yeah. People like to consume it. They share it more. Um, you know, people are just lazy. Right. And you yeah. know, there's certain types of content I want to do only be written, but, um, it was pretty powerful. And then, um, it also made us look so much bigger than we are. It was also wow. part of the, the value of the sale was, oh, we have this brand and we have so many people not only using this free product now, um, which has about 30,000 companies using it, but we also had, you know, so many people just eyeballs, you know, coming right. to us. Um, and I think it definitely played out, you know, the thesis, which I think is great.
0: That's pretty incredible, man. And the content, the quality was incredible. It was like high production quality. And, um, you know, Nicole, my co-founder and wife, she's a New York film Academy graduate. So like, we're, we, we really are snobs when it comes to like watching content. Nice. It's like, Come on, make, make, uh, make a little bit of an effort here. You don't have to have your laundry in the background or whatever. <laughs> like the point yeah. is, is that, um, it, it it felt a lot more expensive than five grand for a season. It felt really like, um, really well done. So well done with that for sure. Um, you are, in my opinion, are probably the pricing expert. I can't think of anybody who's like more a seasoned when it comes to pricing and, uh, you know, packaging and value and all that kind of stuff over the years. What is some area in pricing or, 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 um, pricing pages or packaging did did you change your mind on did you feel staunch about one Mm. at one point and feel like "Mm, i don't think i believe that anymore
1: yeah i used to be very anti-freemium okay uh, wow because (laughs) you know you're the you're the pricing person and you're talking about free right you know there's no the price is zero but the reason i was is because i didn't realize um freemium is not A part of your pricing. It's part of your acquisition. And I think people, because it's a zero dollar plan, they put it in part of pricing. You got to think about freemium as like a premium ebook, right? Like that's, that's really what you're doing is you're opening the top of your funnel with a very high quality piece of content, which is a free product. Uh, So that, that's a big one um, that I've changed on. I think that like all entrepreneurs and content writers i think in the early days you're you're a little more sure of yourself you're yeah. like you have to do this you have to do this you know and then over time you're like well it depends on what you're optimizing for and it depends yes. on the like we had one of those well for.
0: conversations yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. i think i think there's also um one of the most painful things to realize both from a soul perspective but also just from a, a success perspective was um I used to teach how to actually figure stuff out. I used Uh to teach like customer development. I used to teach, because that's all it is. Like the big secret with pricing is there's there's one group of people who understand where you should be priced, it's your customers. You just have to talk to them in the right manner. You just have to like break through and when you get certain data, you have to interpret it certain ways. And it's a skill that you can learn, but that's not a pill. It's not a silver bullet, right? You know, and people like like the quick, just tell me what to do. So I'd go to these conferences and I would teach her, I'd run a workshop and I'd go through here's everything you should do, and here's how to like get the survey data. And this is when you get the survey data, how here's how you clean it, and here's you know uh-huh. the objection handling of votes oh, a survey, right? You know, those types of things. And then, you know, 20% of the audience would do it and they would see, oh my God, this is amazing, right? It's the same reason whenever we talk about customer development everyone retweets it because they know they should be doing it, but they don't do it because it's right. it's not the path of least resistance. Right. So I I stopped doing that because it was like, I would get these amazing reactions, but then no one was doing stuff. So I started breaking things down to a little bit of, if this, then that, um, or like, here's the starter thing to do. Right. Yeah. Um, like one of the most successful like pieces of content or parts of a talk that I have now is here's the email to send when you're raising your prices and it goes over really, really well, but it's also like, yeah, but don't send the email unless you've done this and done this and done this and and all these other things. Right. It's a soft skill Yeah. That's, yeah. It's hurt my soul a little bit. And, but I just think that's business, right? Like people want, and this is ironic given our whole mission is very, do it for you on basically everything. Right. Yeah. Um, And that's, also why paddle made so much sense because they're very do it for you for billing and tax and everything like that. And we're do it for you for pricing and retention yeah. and those types of things. So um I'm trying to think of another really practical example as I go through that. I think um I used to, so I used to kind of think about like a lot of people talk about good, better, best. Mm-hmm. I actually think good, better, best is it's the equivalent of, Columbus discovered America in 1492. Yeah. Like it's information and it's like a piece of information for you. But as soon as you go to like even high school, if not college, you learn it's a lot more complicated. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, With like native American tribes and we don't have to get into us history, but long story short, I Good, better, best is basically it's really good advice because before that everyone would just have one price, it's hundred dollars, and then people were like, oh, different customers, you know, we should have different price levels. But then it's like, yeah, but then you got to take it to the next logical conclusion, which is it's a lot more than three. Yeah. <laughs> so like, how do you manage that? And this is where value metrics and pricing metrics come in, and a bunch of other things. Um, the other thing I did too, uh, which I think is interesting and might be applicable for other folks, is. There's this thing called the Professional Pricing Society. I have never been a member. I have never gone to an event. I think a lot of them hate the content we put out because it's super basic compared to what they're doing. Cause they're all PhDs, like figuring out like, well, I moved these three SKUs and we saw this increase in blah. And they're like, it's just, it's, it's great. But the problem is, is like, again, it's kind of like me trying to teach customer development. It's like, it's not as relevant. And I felt a little insecure about that early in the business because I thought, Oh, I need to be part of the pricing community. And it's Mm -hmm. like, there's no pricing community in SaaS. Like I'm going to become the pricing community, which is great, but I don't need to be a part of this general pricing community. And right. some people, they have those hangups about being a part of associations and stuff. And at the end of the day, it's all about what your customer needs, wants, et cetera.
0: I love it, man. I love it. And, and one of the things I learned from you in our conversations is that, you know, figuring out your pricing, your value metrics, uh, you know, maximizing the value for the customer and for the business, this is one bucket how you implement that in the UI of your pricing page is another thing altogether. Like uh, what I was mm-hmm. doing was like, I was, uh, how am I going to, I'm going straight to implementation. Like that, what I want to do for value metric is going to be hard to tr- translate into a UI. Like, don't worry yeah, about yeah. that. That's somebody else's job. <laughs> Just figure out what you need to do first and then, uh, roll out the blueprint and hand it over to the, uh, the construction crew. Um, yeah. so you decide to sell profit. Well, you, your paddle, um, acquires you, uh, you join their team. Um, I want to, w- w- if you can remember what was the one kind of fact in your head that you kept going back to that made you confirm your own decision that, okay, it's time to sell. Like we all often make decisions in life. And yeah. then there's always something that goes back. Like, well, I can't deny that fact. So it's hard for me to say yep, no to yep, this. Yep.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of, so one, if you go through a sale, get three Sherpas, like people have gone through it before. The reason you get three is because there's going to be things that come up that you're, you're going to, you're going to, especially if you've not gone through it before, there was plenty of situations where I was like, they're asking for this thing. Does that mean they don't want to buy the company anymore? Like this was in diligence. And it was, it's like, I asked those three, they're like all three of them separately are like, no, don't, don't be stupid. Like that's, that's easy. They're just asking cause they're asking. Right. Mm. But the other reason is, is they will give conflicting information when it comes to like direction and these types of things, which I think is great because then you can filter it and kind of make a decision based on what makes sense. Um, but the reason I say that is because some of the best advice I got was just around when I talked to those 30, 30 founders was you just have to come up with your own framework of what you're trying to optimize for. Right um and what i mean by that is faku peter and i sat down and we basically decided okay uh we were over the emotional because christian i was asking for like advice on fundraising and stuff and he's like well what if we just bought you and i was like oh my baby oh no you can't Mm. buy my baby right like that's the obvious reaction but we got over that within a week because it was it's never binary it's always if these circumstances are met of course we would sell because you're even if you're the hundred percent shareholder, which I wasn't, you end up sitting there and going, Well, I'm gonna take away this million dollar payout from this person who's been with me for like six years, right? You know, that yeah. type of a thing, right? That's the other thing, yeah. and so yeah, but you you have a fiduciary responsibility, right? And so we basically came up with like the things we're caring about, these these check boxes. And it's like, well, if they check all these boxes, then we should sell, right? And we tried to do that as early as possible and dispassionately as possible. Because as soon as numbers start get thrown around, you might start, you know, kind of bending on those things. And and we talked to a bunch of different people and we ended up getting, you know, a number of LOIs. We were very blessed to do that. But it was it was very um It was very, uh, you know, in those moments, you had to keep coming back to the framework and the framework for us. There's a couple of things. There was a price and the price was different depending on the buyer. Um, There were some buyers where the price was much higher because the environment that we were going to go into even Mm -hmm. for two years was not going to be very enjoyable or, oh, they're going to give us glorified roles, but Really, we're just resting, investing, which is not what we wanted to do. Some people, you may want to do that, right? So the numbers is a little expected value analysis. They're going to be different, right? Um, there was um, there was some aspects of roles, right? So Faku needed to be running a product, right? Um, you know, I needed something substantive, right? And one of the mistakes I, I think I made is I didn't define my role enough before. Mm. Uh, I think we really should have defined my role beforehand because it just led to the vacuum that I was telling you before we were recording where it's like now it like is kind of changing. And when it's not changing, it's like not necessarily, I don't want to say it's not being taken seriously. It's a little too judgmental and I don't mean it in a judgmental way, but it's like, there's just, there's all this ambiguity, which means like, I don't feel as fulfilled as I I, I could. And right. they're also, you know, they're not like, that's fine. They're like, Oh, that sucks. Like how do we figure this out? But it's, it's, you know, there's always this day-to-day business stuff figuring out. So it's tough. Like getting acquired, I think is a lot tougher than people think. I didn't think it was going to be as tough as it was. And it's, and it's actually a really easy one compared to what I've heard from a bunch of other people. Um, but yeah, Peter needed a substantive roles. Everyone needed to be taken care of. Um, and if they weren't going to bring on part of the team, like there needed to be like significant comp for those folks. We had everyone coming on board with paddle. Um, so that was great. Uh, and then there was some, there were some other pieces around like the decision-making, like why, even if they checked all these boxes, why is it a good decision? And I think this is kind of what you're getting at. I think for me, we, we, sit on top of all these billing systems and it was almost impossible to see a future where we either didn't build our own billing system, which then puts us in basically part different of the right? oh, yeah. Or um, we started getting real close to that rail and they would not be able to, like we already have this issue with certain billing systems I won't name them where it's like, we just, we just can't get the API access that we need to create a great product. And then we have to decide, do we, build a crappier product than this other billing system or do Mm. we just not build it right which is a tough situation to be in so there's this like channel conflict that is or this partner conflict that's potentially happening the other thing that was sitting in the back of my mind was very much um uh our tam is tough so there's only about 150,000 subscription companies in the world SaaS business, subscription media, subscription yeah. commerce. There's only 150 thousand logos, and that number is not growing that fast. It's it was flat in 2018. Yeah. Like it actually went down a little bit in 2018. So it's not like now the revenue on those companies is growing exponentially, and that's mm-hmm. great. That's why our pricing models are very pay for performance. But climbing up that mountain was just going to get harder and harder, even without this potential partner conflict, right? And you really and partners- already dominated the market. Yeah. We had 30,000 companies out of the 150 using it. Right. Um, And that was, you know, we didn't always serve more than just SaaS. Right. And so we had so much of this. We have so much more of a SaaS market than, than I think um, of the other markets. But what's fascinating too, is that when you think about that partner conflict, it also is coming from them because, you know, Stripe, their analytics, they're not accurate. They're pretty basic, but like, it's something, right? Someone's going to look at their graphs and be like, well, I don't need these other graphs, even if they're free, right? Even if they're deeper. And we could solve that by just constantly going deeper. But how many fronts are we going to fight? That's a really big question, right? And so we kind of looked at this and we went, okay, well, if the multiples great, all this other stuff's great we feel like we'll be fulfilled enough and then we'll also feel like we got the number for the work that we did. And we're going to go on an adventure going forward with like a group that we really like culturally resonated with, which is paddle. Um, you know, okay. Like, again, we'd be selfish or egotistical Mm -hmm. not to sell. And I will say the one thing that probably was a thing I kept coming back with, which is your original question. I asked Faku, Cause I think I'm going to build with Fakum and Peter the rest of my life. Like there might, there'll be other people. Right. But I think it's like, when you find that group, it's so hard finding the group and then you spend so much time getting to work together. And then all of a sudden you're just done and you're like, okay, good luck guys. Like, no, you, you probably want to, you should build together. But I asked him, I said, Hey, are we doing this in 10 years? Like this mm-hmm. profitable, basically. And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, like, crazy market all these other check boxes are coming like we got to do it right and so that was the thing that kept coming back to which i didn't think would be the thing that i would keep coming back to but if he was like yeah like then i don't know maybe we wouldn't have sold and i don't know that maybe that would have been a mistake so it was it was a regret minimization definitely but also You know, you got to keep those folks who are your 10x people, which are typically your business partners. That's why you work with them, like kind of going. Um, And there were some other things where we were really bad at hiring um, middle management. There's a lot of reasons for it. Some self-inflicted, some not. We're really good at developing that talent. But all of a sudden that talent average tenure is like six years of our core management group. They're not getting, like some of them are making more money than me, but not that much more money, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're all kind of making like good money, but not great money. And it yeah. was like an exit opportunity. You're kind of, it's a lot of risk because one of them oh. ends up leaving within the next 18 months. And then you're like, oh crap, like now it's a huge problem and you're fighting even more fronts. And so, yeah, that was kind of the calculus and, and hopefully that's helpful for some of super helpful, man.
0: <laughs> super helpful. So and And one of the things I think maybe... I'm not sure if, if if you recognize this or not, but I think most founders don't have that honest conversation and self awareness of like these are some major threats of 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 ahead of me. You know, a lot of founders are maybe a little bit uh, overconfident, maybe a little delusional about the the potential of their business, and you know, oh, we'll crush everybody, that kind of thing. And, you know, and you're yeah. honest about the fact that hey, you know where is this heading? What are some threats ahead of us? You know, is this worth fighting? Like no doubt you probably can put up a good fight, but maybe a ceasefire and going home in peace and, 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 uh, and do something afterwards that's rewarding is the best way to go. So I think that's really, really a huge takeaway for me is just like that, you know, as, as, as painful as it could be, you got to just, Face the facts and see yourself as an investor in your own company and be a third party. Um, yeah, yeah, we've we've really gotten over on time, but I I, I want to ask one more question. Keep rocking, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um, so y- y- we're gonna go back to post exit. Um, I mean, we're friends, and but I don't know you yeah. like intimately. But my guess is you're horrible at taking a vacation. Okay, my my my. From what yeah. I've seen pretty, online, pretty easy
1: guess. I think, yeah
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Why? Why do you have such a hard time, or why do founders have such a hard time taking a break and saying, "Hey, I I did a thing. I I am. I, I did something good. I res, I deserve to recharge my batteries." You know, wh- wh- why is that such a challenge?
1: I think there's a mindset, and then there's a maturity issue. So the mindset issue is it's probably very similar to you. I love what I do. I love what I do. Right. Um, even with like trying to f- figure out, like I commented on like, Oh, we're trying to, f- my role's kind of ambiguous. Like I still love what I do. Right. And it's not, it's not the space. Like, it's not like, if I was selling coat hangers, I would know more about coat hangers than anyone else. I'd be trying to figure out the coat hanger market. Who do my partner and what, like I would, I just, it's, it's, and I don't even think it's the game. Like, it's not like, like, I, maybe if I was an academic or I'd be doing something else, like, I would just, I, I know I would just be just as intense about it. Mm. And so I think th- there's this love, right? And every time it, every time things would get good inside the business and I would have like, oh, I should take some time off, I would, I'd be like, well, it's fun right now. It's really fun right now. And then anytime it was really bad. And in startups, like, it's a founder mindset thing, which is not healthy where you're always like, it's really good or it's really bad. Uh You're kind of seesawing. You learn to be pretty even, which thankfully I did by the end, which I think was great. But long story short, like it's just, it's so much fun. Right. And I think that being said, like I hadn't taken a vacation in 5 years. I took 2 yeah. weeks off in August for the first time in 5 years. And before that like I had a day where I took off um because Jenny was like we're in Orlando, we're going to Harry Potter World and just tough. Yes. You're going to have to go. Give me your it's phone. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, and before, like, nothing, even like, I would go in the office on Christmas, not that long. I'd go in for like an hour or two. Mm-hmm. But again, I just, I wanted to. Right. And sometimes it was a need, and sometimes I'm convincing myself I wanted to. But I, I think it, I think that's a really driving factor. Right. Now, the maturity thing is, just because it's fun doesn't mean like doing that is healthy. Right. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean uh-huh. that like you get your best. Right. And I don't know. I, I think that I don't buy into the narrative that you have to take X amount of time off to be better. Like, I just don't buy into the narrative. I think right. it's the same narrative with work-life balance. Like, no, like you're looking for work-life fit. And if you want this side of life, then you need a job that fits that life. Same, like, And I love what I do and my life fits around what I do, right? Which is a little bit of a flip. Again, no kids. Everyone I talk to about this who has kids are like, oh, it'll change after kids. But they also said it would change after, you know, this or that and it hasn't, right? And so I know kids are a pretty big deal, obviously, in terms of change. But to make a long story short, like I don't buy into those narratives, but I do think that a vacation can provide some clarity and some distance. Right. And I think distance was really important for me right now because my identity in so many different ways has been tied to profit. not just from a marketing perspective, mm-hmm. but just in terms of like everything and just having two weeks and the first day, like you're going to love this. The first, I had so much anxiety the first day I just started walking and I walked on a treadmill for 31 miles, like right. just an insane amount because I was just going like crazy But I think learning to be able to kind of not have to do that and to switch gears is something that like I'm trying to figure out. Um, And I know I'm capable of it. And that's why like, I think that scheduling the vacations and I would always tell people like, and I would never expect anyone to work as much as I did, but I would always tell them like, oh, when you're on the current vacation, schedule the next one. Right. You know, if you're in trouble with vacation. So like I never did what I, I said, but to make a long story short, I think that for me, I do know. And I do know that like having some of that distance will improve my thoughts. And so that's the reason to do it rather than like, you need to recharge, blah, 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 which I I think some people that might be the case, especially if you have like physical labor job or a, a mentally laborious job as well. But I think that for us who are privileged to work in tech and you know, there's equivalent of us or there's another scenario where someone's digging ditches. Mm -hmm. I just think that there's a mission that when I see people who are like taking, you know, 12 weeks off a year and like not getting what they want and Instagramming and being $30,000 millionaires, I'm kind of like, not only are you not getting what you want, but also like it to me, and this is a very personal opinion. It's like, it feels disrespectful to like the person who's taking that ditch right Totally. now if you take the 12 weeks because it's best for you and you want like a great life and all these other things i don't judge you but like Mm -hmm. it's it's just the people who kind of like say something different and do something different like that 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 just bothers me a little bit so there's my rambly clearly uh, immature rant about vacation there so yeah well
0: the reason why i asked the question is because this is something that i had to work through um and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to give you my synopsis and maybe it resonates with you. Yeah. Maybe not, but, um, you and I have a Michael Jordan problem with that. What does that mean? Yeah. Is Michael Jordan, if you ever watched the documentary last dance or you were a basketball fan or whatever, yeah. you know, that he was a highly competitive person, but really his problem was is that like he just had to win at all costs. Right. He's highly comp- yeah. He just wants to win. Right. And I just feel like I want to win. Right. Even when I go back to my teaching days, I used to put in crazy hours and I used to do all this, all the stuff that no one asked me to do just because I thought this would get me to a win, right? Whatever that win is in the education world, blah, blah, blah. What I didn't know. And what I've learned over years is that when I'm not in my game, when I'm not in Michael Jordan's case, playing basketball or doing your business or whatever education or digging ditches, uh, it's healthy to let other people win. Meaning like your family, Yourself, your body, your mind—like yeah. you don't have to win that game too. You know what I'm saying? Like, just pick a yeah, game yeah, yeah. and win. <laughs> and that really I has helped me.
1: Yeah, I think it's more. I totally agree with everything you said. I think it's it's also more. Again, I I don't like. I'm not judging people who go on vacation, right? Like, no, I'm not yeah. that at all. I think it's, but I think it's more of a. Finding that fit, right? Yeah. If you have a great life, you work two days a week and the other three days you're woodworking or teaching your kids or spending time with your wife or husband or whomever, right? Like that's fantastic, right? Yeah. It's so great, right? And I I think it's just more of, I've had a long, like difficult time in my life, like being myself essentially. Mm. Like I've, I've had a long, like, like, it's okay to be me. Like that comes from that insecurity. Right. And I used to think it's, it's almost the opposite of the problem that most people have. Like, I used to think like, Oh, like I, I have to like nine to five, I have to like do this. Oh, I'm working too hard. Right. Like I'm in the, like, I would get that from like my peers at Google where it's like, well, you know, you make the same amount of money, whether you are because it's salary. Right. Mm. And I was like, yeah, but there's like that higher purpose, right? And so exactly. I, I do have the Michael Jordan problem, 100%. I absolutely know what you're saying. And I think, but I think for me, it's it's this whole like um, Teddy Roosevelt thing, not the man in the arena, which I think is actually not his best speech. I think his best speech was, um, I think it's called the Doctrine of a Strenuous Life, where he mm. basically talks about like, you know, again, like you you've been given you know, a privilege somewhat in life, like don't waste it, right? Like your your job isn't to have a life of ignoble ease, like a life of leisure. Your your job is to, um, you know, go after the hard thing, right? And so I think for me, it's, it's the way I've been tricking my brain, which I think is the healthy, it's not tricking, but it's just making it more healthy is I need to be able to not just go all in on one thing, right? And I want to pick my spots, but it's not like, I need to be the best partner or I need to be the best fitness or whatever. It's more of like, what are my spots? And I think if I'm all in on one thing, I'm not picking my spots, right? I'm, I'm like, so one dimensional. Mm. And for me, it can be tangential spots. Like, Hey, I want to get a better personal brand. Right. Or Hey, I want to like right now, fitness is a big thing, right? Like these are all things that kind of help this central mission, but I think it's the, I think vacation for me helps me get distance. So I think less one dimensionally about my mission, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. But I still want to win at my mission. Right. And so that's, that's just the one thing. Like I, I, I'm not willing to give it up. Like I'm not willing to give that up but it doesn't mean that I'm the only one who has to win. I mean, in order for me to win, everyone else has to actually win more yeah. because they're the ones kind of building the thing. Right. And I'm, I'm a steward leader kind of a thing. So yeah, I don't know. This is, there's a good blog post here. Uh, there's something here. here. There's
0: something here, but something, yeah. And I, I want yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, no, no. I was just going to say, I think it's like also one of those things that similar to like the money conversation, it's like, can we talk about this publicly? Like can we can we yeah. can we have this conversation, right? Because it's, you know, again, it's a very uh very blessed conversation to have. Totally.
0: Uh Patrick, I love sitting with you, man, and chatting. I forgot we're recording a podcast, uh, you know, a few times when we're right. chatting away. Um I'm always here to help you and support you in any way. Uh professionally, personally, you know, I'm a big fan of what you've done in your life and I've been um, really grateful of your generosity over the years. So thanks for being on the show and, and supporting uh, other entrepreneurs uh, get better at what they do.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. And likewise, I, uh, I still tell Jenny about those cookies. I was like, "Oh yeah." I was like, "She's like, who are you the talking Anzac to?" I was cookies. like, "Remember the yeah. guy? Remember the the guy and the gal who like gave us his cookies?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Yeah, it's his podcast." And I'm I was like, the oh, Cookie great. Guy. Yeah, <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, those are called it's okay Anzac be the cookie cookies. Guy. You're more than the Cookie Guy. She just that's what she remembers because yeah. if I was like, you know, the webinar guy, she'd be yeah. like, "What?" I don't know. Yeah. I don't because she doesn't so, know your business as well or your Nicole's yeah. business. So, it's so awesome, they're, called, man. I they're called
0: Anzac cookies, which is Australia, New Zealand Army Corps. <laughs> And basically, it commemorates when they uh, went to World War II together and fought. And uh, and those cookies are just basically coconut cookies. <laughs> They're
1: great, They're yeah. great. We're still yeah. talking about them. It's been yeah, three years it. pre-COVID, man. Free so. free
0: plug for Anzac cookies. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Awesome stuff, well, now man. that
1: everything's open, I hope we I hope we get to see each other pretty soon. Sure. Yep. Thanks to get
0: I got more on today's episode, but before that, let me share with you some of our favorite tools. We all know the power of an email list and growing our email lists, but managing it, automating our emails, making sure they actually get into the inbox, that's where ConvertKit comes in. ConvertKit is an all-in-one email marketing platform. I've used a lot of different email marketing platforms and we use ConvertKit for a reason. It just works. It does what you need it to do. It's simple, it's easy, and it keeps improving every single day. Plus, you can start for free. Go ahead to 100mba.net slash convert kit to get started. We also love WP Engine. We host all our websites on WP Engine, and it's for good reason. It's the best, it's super fast, it's secure, and their support team is out of this world. It's like having your own technicians on call 24 7. Most of the time, when I need something done and I get on chat, they don't tell me what to do. They just do it for me. Exactly what I want. If you're hosting a website, especially a WordPress website, check out WP Engine. And as a listener of the show, you can get 20% off. Just go to WPENG.IN slash MBA and use code WPE20OFF. WP Engine, the best way to host your website. Wow. What do I say about this conversation? I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with Patrick and getting the chance to really get into his head and understand what his experience has been like. You know, one of the things people don't talk about is that success has challenges. When you look at Patrick's situation from afar, he's like, hey, this is amazing. This guy bootstrapped his business. He sold it for $200 million to paddle. The guy must be living the life. And yes, that is huge and that's an amazing accomplishment, but he's got to move on with life. He's got to figure out another path. Yes, he's comfortable financially, but that's just one part of life that's sorted. It's a big part, but we have to be aware that when we're in that pursuit of growth and financial freedom and abundant wealth, that yes, it will solve some of our problems, a lot of our financial problems. But like Patrick says, it just heightens who you are. It heightens or highlights all the habits that you had before. The things about yourself that you're not happy with are still there you need to still work on them. And I really meant what I said about Patrick. He's one of my favorite people because he's incredibly smart, he's brilliant, but he's humble and kind, a tough combo. And he says it's because of some of his insecurities. Well, I guess those insecurities keep him humble. It makes him feel like he needs to kind of compensate and go the extra mile to make sure people are taken care of. Well, I gotta say, Patrick, you're amazing. And you've been a good friend to me and to Nicole and our business. And you've done an incredible job being vulnerable and sharing your story, with everybody who listens to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to The $100 MBA Show. If you love what you hear, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you loved today's episode, go ahead and share it. Just send them to 100mba.net slash MBA2143. Before I go, I want to leave you with this. I want to remind everybody that, you know, Patrick Grew his business. He sold it for 200 million dollars, and that's amazing, and it's inspiring. But that's the path he took. It's not the path everybody should take. Maybe that's not right for you. Maybe you should be running your business for your life because it gives you joy. Maybe you should grow your business to the point where you sell it for 10 million. Everybody's situation and wants and likes and ambitions and what's best for their circumstances is different. So take inspiration from today, but carve your own path and make your own decisions on what to do with your business. Thanks so much for listening and I'll check you in tomorrow's episode. I'll see you then, take care.